It's Tuesday, September 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Taylor Markerman. We're back, gentlemen. Back in the saddle. We are back. A little bit tanner and a little bit wiser. A little bit wiser. So thank you to our dozens of listeners for hanging in there for a week or so while we were off. But we are back now. We're going to talk about uh, the CBS Time Warner deal, which uh, an agreement has finally been reached. Um, A big deal in the consumer space uh, with Yankee Candle being bought for a heck of a lot more money than I ever would have guessed Yankee (laughs) Candle was worth. But we have to start with the big deal of the day and possibly of the month, which is that Microsoft is buying Nokia's handset and services businesses for the cool sum of $7.2 billion. Nokia's CFO was quoted as saying, we feel this deal is a win-win for both companies. Is it, Jason? Because <laughs> if, if you look at the stocks today, it really seems like it's a nice win for Nokia. Well, I mean, that was a very diplomatic sort of uh, sort of answer. I mean, I think it's a bigger win for Nokia for sure uh, because, I mean, they, they were more or less at the end of their rope. And I, I think that's – this is troubling to me for Microsoft because I feel like this is sort of a little bit you know too late for them to try to play catch up in that in that – device space and with your Googles and your Apples. I mean, they've been perpetually trying to trying to gain share on those guys. You know, and, and when I look at the initial thing that stuck out to me here was I, I thought about back to the Google Motorola acquisition. And now we look at the Microsoft Nokia acquisition here. And and so this just, to me, it really shines a light on sort of the the quiet winner in all of this. And people probably won't think a whole lot about it. But, but really, I think that the quiet winner here is Apple because it shows how well Apple controls that entire environment from the software to the devices and the ecosystem all in there. And I mean, Elop knows very well the value of the ecosystem. I and mean, if you go back to that burning platform memo that he submitted uh, when he got, you know, what was it, beginning of 2011, when he's talking about the, the challenges Nokia faced. I mean, in, the, in that memo, he's recognizing that the ecosystem is the answer, and that's what Nokia did not possess. And, and that's what this deal is really all about. Taylor, when Stephen Elop, Microsoft executive, goes to Nokia, uh, becomes the CEO there, there were people at the time who were saying, hey, look, this the, the writing is on the wall. It is just a matter of time before Microsoft makes a big play for Nokia. When, when you saw this news for the first time, did you think, oh, okay, well, th- this, this is playing out pretty much as, as we expected, or were you at all surprised? No, not really, not too surprised at all. I mean, it, they definitely needed to get into the hardware business, and I think um, this was one of their few options. They've been working together since 2011, so the relationship is there. Um, and then you, you mentioned Elop coming from Microsoft, so he definitely um, knew how that company was operating. And I think that uh, the integration will be pretty smooth, uh, whether or not it'll pan out. I mean, Nokia is a loss-making business, uh, so we'll see if they can turn that business around. And really, the image, I think, of Nokia needs to be turned around first and foremost, so we'll see if Microsoft can, can handle that. But no, no surprise, really, to me. Um, other than the fact that, you know, it, it came over the Labor Day weekend. Six years ago, Nokia's market share was 49%. As of last year, it was just north of 4%. I don't know. I mean, is this – we see Microsoft shares down about 5 or 6% when we walked in the studio this morning. Nokia's are up big. When you when you look at the price they paid, Jason uh, – It's actually less than, uh, less than the, the Skype acquisition. Which is kind of phenomenal. I mean, they paid more for Skype. Did they really? And that's really worked out mm-hmm. pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, does, does the fact that this – I mean, I don't want to 
make light of the fact that the shares are down 5 or 6%, but the fact that it is only down that much and not dramatically more, does that say, hey, you know what? Microsoft isn't paying an outrageous price for Nokia. Well, no, I mean, I think the, the thing is, so Microsoft has the resources to pull this deal off. And I mean, they've, they've made a number of acquisitions, you know, throughout their history here uh, to sort of seek out growth. And I, I think the market's reacting appropriately here. I mean, it, it's still a tremendous... Uh, company generating a lot of money every year through their software, and, and I mean that's that's the bottom line there. It's still a very relevant company in in a lot of the things that we do, but they also recognize the the value in the mobile environment, and that that's the direction uh, things are going between tablets and smartphones. And so uh, again, it's just it, they're 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 playing this this horrible game of catch up. And really, when you're playing catch up against companies like Apple and Google and even Samsung to a degree, uh, I mean you're. That's a tall order, really, to begin with, and and so they have to come out with a with a product and a service and an ecosystem all sort of rolled into one that is more compelling than the others. Which you know they have your apples and your googles have really set the standard. Those companies have done a really good job in sort of dictating our behaviors through the devices, and that's what you know Microsoft has failed to capitalize on that. And Nokia was never really a part of it to begin with. Is why that's why they lost so much market share so fast. Uh, so again, I mean, I understand the logic behind the deal. I don't know that it necessarily really changes anything for Microsoft. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at some point to see this one get written down as well. I mean, they have a history of, of doing that as well. So, I, yeah, it, it's it's. I don't think it's going to end very well, Chris. And yet, if you do think it's going to end well, and to Jason's point about how much cash Microsoft turns out every quarter, you look at today and it's like, oh, it's a buying opportunity. Do you look at it that way or do you think, you know what, I'm, I'm just not interested, not at this price, when we're talking about Microsoft shares? I mean, yeah, it could be a buying opportunity. As you mentioned, the, the market cap of Nokia has just been on a landslide over the past couple of years. So um, I don't see... Uh, getting much cheaper than this, so it definitely could be the right time. If there is a right time for Microsoft to get in and buy Nokia, this could definitely be it. Um, go ahead and get the ball rolling on that. They only have about 3% of uh, smartphone market share in the United States, so uh, you know, maybe in a couple of years you'll see that number grow now that they're trying to combine form and function in-house. Um, so I, I definitely think that you could come come uh, 2015, definitely see some viable options of the smartphone market um, from Microsoft. And then uh, you've seen, I've I actually talked to people that enjoy the platform that they offer mm-hmm. on Nokia phones. Um, whether or not they enjoy the phone itself as much is a different story. So we'll see if Microsoft can really kind of fix that problem. And what'll be interesting that is how this all shakes out in the CEO choice, right? Because I think Elop is now, uh, odds are more in, in favor of him getting that Microsoft CEO job which to me actually would be somewhat surprising considering what he's done at Nokia because, I mean, when he put out that that memo back in 2011, I mean, yeah. before today's pop, the stock was down more than 60%. So it's not like he necessarily had this great track record of, of fundamentally changing a business in the direction in which they were going. Um, but I, I do think that leadership can can really make or break the situation. And, and so there will be a lot to be said uh, with the new CEO uh, whenever they find him or her. And that was one of the things that happened while we were away, right? Yep. We, we go on vacation, and uh, Steve Ballmer announces he's stepping down in the next 12 months. And yep. I'm just saying the timing is curious. That's all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying you know one informs the other. I'm just saying it's curious. Uh, CBS and Time Warner Cable have settled their – I was going to say their little spat. It wasn't a little spat. It was a big spat. This was millions of homes in, in L.A. and New York, um, but they have reached an agreement over retransmission fees – 
shares of both companies up today, but CBS is up a little more. Uh, Taylor, it kind of seems like CBS won this one. I mean, we don't know, you know, we don't know exactly how much uh, the new transmission fee is, is mm-hmm. um, at this point, but it kind of seems like, at least in the court of public opinion, uh, CBS won, and even on Wall Street, where shares of CBS up a little bit more. Yeah, I certainly think so. This is another example of content being the king here. Um, you, I did read that there might be a little less than $2 per subscriber per month uh, for this new deal. Um, you saw Time Warner Cable really trying to stick with the 2008 agreement that they had, but obviously times have changed in the uh, in the cable space and in the content space. So CBS, I think, definitely had the leverage here in this deal. Um, you look at the CEO looking very favorably on this and and Verizon, or excuse me Time Warner really not releasing any comments so right. that kind of in itself shows Let's- you a little bit of, of who thinks they won this overall deal <laughs> um, so I think you know the pressure of the NFL season looming might have forced Time Warner's hand a little bit here I was just going to say I mean we I think we said when this story first broke NFL is starting in just a few weeks, and if this doesn't get done beforehand, people are going to go crazy. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, Les Moonves at CBS, it sounds like he got maybe not absolutely everything right. he wanted, but almost everything he wanted. Yeah, and I think adding a little a little bit to this was in the middle of sort of the spat, um, CBS and, and Verizon Fios were able to come to a mutually agreeable uh, renewal agreement, and that was just took a matter of a few days. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, you look at, at Time Warner, their perspective as being such a large provider. They felt like they had some sway there in the number of households that they reach. And, and there's something to be said for that. But by the same token, I think what Taylor said makes a lot of sense. I mean, content really is king when it all is said and done. And, and when you look at the not only the, the entertainment that, that CBS is providing, I mean, they're doing a very good job with that show Under the Dome. They've got a new show with Robin Williams starting this fall. So they're bringing a lot of TV that's apparently doing very well along with all of the sporting events that they cover. It would not go down very well if this was not reached before Thursday, which is the official kickoff of the NFL. So I'm glad to see they got it done. Uh, but it also shows, I think, the sort of evolving uh, competitive space, or the, the, the evolving sort of market there and how digital is starting to play a role in the, into this, this because it's not just TVs anymore, right? It's, you know, you, you go to your iPad or your tablet, you can download the CBS app and you can watch from right. there. And, you know, Time Warner subscribers were not even able to do that. So part of that renewal you know, it came down to those digital uh, rights as well. And uh, so there are a lot more moving parts and certainly a lot of greed in this business. Uh, it's going to become more and more difficult, I think, as time goes on. It's also one of those spaces, Taylor, where you see a ripple effect in both directions when it comes to the success of the programming, because the more successful the programming is, networks, and it's, you know, NBC does this, ABC, and, and I'm talking mainly about the broadcast networks here. They are able to then promote their other shows. Right. So they've got the Big Bang Theory. They've got all these different shows. And then, oh, by the way, they're promoting other shows as well. That's why it seems like it's really hard for any time a network. And at various points over the last three decades, we've seen the broadcast networks on top. We've seen them on the bottom. It really seems like it's tough for them to break out of, of being uh, at the bottom rung just because – you need not just one hit, you need several hits and to get that positive ripple effect going. Yeah, I mean, there's more than just one hour of the day to fill those slots, so you definitely need a sustaining program. It really helps if you have multiple uh, series going at the same time that can then uh, re- 
reignite some of the, the lost viewership that you see when the NFL isn't on. You look at late night weekdays and uh, you really have to have solid programming on every night. Otherwise, you're just going to lose people because they're going to go to the other channels and then s- see those commercials for new programs right. on NBC or Fox and then maybe lose a little bit of interest in a CBS. So you definitely need the the publicity there. And, and when you look at Time Warner, uh, you, you kind of see them getting squeezed on both sides, supplier power and buyer power being uh, enforced here because you see people turning more towards the internet for their television uh, away from the cable providers. So um, I'm looking at them being pinched from their customers leaving them as well as now CBS being able to to leverage from the from the opposite side here. You think we see more of these types of battles, maybe not on this level, but then again, maybe maybe it is on this level. But do you think we see more of these sort of high profile content providers coming out and saying, no, we're, we're going to stick to our guns and we're going to essentially try and use the same playbook that CBS used. You could, but CBS definitely being the number one uh, rated broadcast network in the, in the local channels, I think that they have maybe a slightly larger hand uh, being dealt to them than, than maybe a Fox or a NBC, but I certainly see that the blueprint has been laid um, right. with Time Warner really gaining very little in terms of concessions that they were looking for. You're saying the Food Network shouldn't necessarily try this? No, <laughs> probably not. I mean, I, I look at every single show they have as basically being the same thing with a different host. So. <laughs> uh, before we get to our final story, uh, thank you uh, for the very uh, kind comments we got on Twitter regarding Strategy Week, which we, uh, which was, the, I believe, the third week of August. Um, so thank you to our dozens of listeners for those comments, and uh, it's it's great to know that people enjoy that, and we will we will do more of that in the future. Um, it's a it's a way for us to uh, continue to provide content while we're uh, uh, taking a little time off, and and again giving Steve Ballmer and other high profile executives the chance to step away without you know <laughs> without the glare of market foolery. Uh, our final story, Jarden. Which, as I said to you guys before we started taping, is a company, frankly, I had never heard of until this morning. Jarden is buying Yankee Candle for $1.75 billion. Jarden owns about 100 different brands, including Mr. Coffee, Sunbeam, Rawlings, the, the sports equipment maker, First Alert. And, Jason, I'm assuming this is a good price because shares of Jarden up about 6% this morning. It seems like they got a good deal. Yeah, it's a decent price. I mean, it's it's essentially the same multiple uh, today that it was sold for initially back uh, to, 2006. To, yeah, to its previous owners, I think somewhere around uh, eight times uh, EBITDA. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty significant deal for Jarden. I mean, Jarden's about a $6 billion company. It's actually a little um, less. It's, it's close, it's close to the five. They do about $6 billion in revenue, close to $7 billion in revenue, actually. And Yankee Candle itself is closing in on about a billion. I mean, they're somewhere around $850 million or so in revenue now annually. Um, but we were talking before taping that the interesting part about this is really the margin picture and what this could do for Jarden, because I think Jarden maintains somewhere in the neighborhood of 27 28% uh, average gross margin. But Yankee Candle, and this makes a a lot of sense is, is a product that maintains a, a 57 58 percent gross margin i mean just i mean that's it, a ridiculous it, number well i mean you think about it i mean who's who's taking the time to really make those scented candles right i mean that's just something where they could they can mark it up pretty significantly and i think you know they take advantage of that and um and and for better or worse, it's a relatively well-known product. I mean, you see them all over the place. I mean, they have like 550-some-odd different scents. Uh, Garnered a pretty funny hashtag last <laughs> night on Twitter about 
things that should not be a Yankee Candle scent. I mean, uh, it fits in with their <laughs> veritable cornucopia of different brands that they have, and and this is just a, just another one, but it's a good one. Um, Taylor, I mentioned the you know Jordan's got a hundred or so uh, brands under its umbrella. I have to believe that they do a good job of managing them. I mean, we've seen companies, larger companies, going in the other direction. I'm thinking primarily of Procter & Gamble, mm-hmm. looking to shed their portfolio and really focus on maybe just the the, the house and home space or the, uh, you know, the food space, that sort of thing. But here you've got a company that really seems to be doing a good job of executing across a pretty broad range uh, of items here. Is this this a company – as I said, this is a company I'd never even heard of. Is this a company that was even on your radar before this morning? No, it certainly wasn't. I had never heard of it. I've heard of almost all their portfolio brands that I've seen in articles. And so I think that does lend to the success of management because if – you had seen these brands struggling. Chances are Jardin's name would be out there in the media a lot more um, being the parent company. So I think the fact that they have been so silent in the background uh, does speak very highly of, of what they've been able to do. And, uh, I mean, Yankee Candle, I think part of the reason why they have such high margins, I mean, you see candles, uh, entire aisles of candles in Target, Walmart, and stores yeah, like that. But grocery they, stores, too. Right. But they have, the, they have their own stores, over 550 stores, 560, I guess they say, in the U.S. and Canada. So they're able to cut that middleman out and really, um, I mean, all the revenues there, they're not splitting it with anybody. So I think that this is a little bit of a nice diversity play for Jardin, as if they weren't already diverse enough right. with um, kitchen products as Crock-Pot, K2, sporting equipment. And yeah. I mean, they really have a whole host of products under their umbrella. Ticker symbol J-A-H. Yeah, and I mean, Taylor's right. They've done a good job of sort of letting those brands take care of themselves. I was looking here at the stock over the last five years. I mean, it's outperformed the market pretty significantly by somewhere in the neighborhood of a 125 percentage points. So that, that's wow. that's... Hey, that's pretty good. I'll take that any day. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I think I'm going to have to add this to my watch list because you know I I like a good candle, or you know, particularly when the weather gets a little cooler. Christmas, I, was, I mean, holiday time. Sure, I was I was on the website and uh, they've uh, the Yankee Candle website that is they've unveiled their new fall fragrances, and I'm going to spot you up with four of the fragrances. You tell me which one is is fake. Sure enough, um, salted caramel, November rain, lake sunset. And cozy sweater. Let me do those again. Salted caramel, <laughs> November rain, lake sunset, cozy sweater. Which of the four is actually not one of the new fall fragrances at Yankee Candle? Taylor? Well, as much as I like them, uh, I'm going to have to go with lake sunset not being uh, a true fragrance. I agree. Lake sunset. It was a trick question. All four are actually... <laughs> Uh, Fooled again on foolery. Uh, cozy sweater. I'm not yeah, entirely sure that, that I want to... I don't know that I would... I don't know that I want to smell that, but uh, they at least need to clarify: cozy sweater worn by a woman. <laughs> is there a hint lumberjack? Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Is this. it like a wool sweater? And I've been out in the rain, and then maybe it doesn't smell as good. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, to your point, around the holidays, like a like, like you know, a little cinnamon, a little a little pine, a little wassail. Yep. They work. They do work. All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.